WCW Monday Nitro live here on TNT. And we are six days in counting from Slammery exclusively on pay-per-view this coming Sunday, May 19th, live from Baton Rouge. Will the third time be a charm for Lex Luger? He has missed two previous title shots at the Giants tonight. He is here. Gentlemen, before we talk about the rest of the card, Lex Luger did exactly what he said he would do. He camped out in Nashville last night, as you're about to see, to make sure that he did not miss this title shot. Indeed, Lex Luger will be facing the giant, the WCW World Heavyweight title on the line, which begs the question and points out an obvious situation, gentlemen. Sting wants the Giant and the title shot at Slambri. He might be facing Lex Luger. Well, Luger stands a very good chance. He probably stands the best chance of walking out of this hillbilly town. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our week-by-week -week breakdown of WCW's flagship show, where each episode is reviewed on the 20th anniversary of its airing. This week, I am your host, Tim Root, <laughs> as I am every week, and I'm going to be begging a question and pointing out an obvious situation in that my partner this week is Dave Amador. <laughs> I just want to make fun of Bischoff for saying that, because that sounded really stupid. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm great. I was so excited for this podcast that I camped out outside your house the Yeah, whole I've been night. meaning to talk about that. My wife was very upset. She <laughs> found the whole thing very creepy. She, You've slept on our couch before. You could have just come in. It was very strange. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I also announced that I was going to be out there. <laughs> yeah, you, you came over on Saturday night and said you were going to be camping out before Monday night. It started raining. Which was also confusing because Monday, of course, is Friday in our kayfabe land of, of <laughs> 20 years of Nitro. <laughs> what? Wait, what did I do? <laughs> I'll, I'll explain it to you during the commercial. Okay, cool. It is May 13th, 1996, and Nitro is coming to you live from the Nashville Municipal Coliseum in Nashville, Tennessee, in front of 5,700 fans, uh, just under 3,000 of whom paid for just under $39,000. As we start off this week, Bischoff reminds us that Slamboree is coming up on Sunday, complete with the lethal lottery that leads us into the Battle Bowl, where the winner will be crowned Lord of the Ring. <laughs> Again, branding nightmare in the show. Right. I didn't make up the Lord of the Ring thing, by the way. They don't say it on Nitro at all, even though this is the go-home show, mm -hmm. but on Saturday night, they they like reveal that the winner will be declared Lord of the Ring. Yes. Tonight, though, Lex Luger has another title shot at the Giant. Bischoff says that Lex fulfilled a promise he made, on Saturday night, uh, we alluded to in last week's show, by literally camping outside the arena, and we are treated to by far the funniest thing that I have ever seen <laughs> in wrestling. Not just this podcast, not just WCW, but I've never seen anything in wrestling that made me laugh so hard as a shot of Lex Luger sitting on the sidewalk in front of the arena in the middle of the night. He has a blanket over his legs, and next to him are a pillow and a sleeping bag, along with a styrofoam cooler, two bottles of water, a bunch of bananas, 
uh, an apple and what I believe to be a can of bug spray. He's reading a magazine by flashlight, and suddenly he puts down the magazine and picks up a fly swatter, <laughs> and using the flashlight, he hones in on a troublesome bug and swats at it. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I was <laughs> dying. Uh, immediately, if you're listening to the show and you haven't already seen it, go to our Twitter or our Facebook, because there is no chance that I will release this episode without an accompanying image. <laughs> right. It's probably going to be our profile picture <laughs> now and for months to come. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just... The very, at the very beginning, what he's reading, he looks so calm and cool. <laughs> he's like, enjoying it. <laughs> yes. He's just enjoying, like, fulfilling his obligations. <laughs> he is a man of his word. <laughs> it's just, it's just... And the bizarre thing in the world of kayfabe... Okay, so the Lex thing, the story I mean, seems to be that he's avoiding the giant because he's scared of him, right? Uh, he doesn't want to get humiliated. He doesn't want to, you know, get his ass beat by the giant. Uh but now that he's shown up and he's committed this much mm-hmm. to camping outside the like literally even Sting probably when he said he was going to camp outside didn't expect that he would literally camp outside <laughs> right. even though in the Saturday night promo uh Sting promised that he would buy Luger a cute puppy dog sleeping bag <laughs> <laughs> That's what was missing from the scene <laughs> <laughs> But this level of commitment almost retroactively makes me believe that he really did have a flight canceled and a flat tire two weeks in a row. <laughs> like, the fact that he's doing this, I'm like, okay, I guess he really does want that title <laughs> shot. I misjudged him. Right. Like, like last week, because he missed the flight because it took a long time to get through security with his <laughs> metal briefcase. <laughs> uh, to the best of Kevin Sullivan's recollection, this was Sting's idea, the whole camping thing. <laughs> so he's not positive, but that's who he... And anytime Kevin Sullivan doesn't credit himself with something, right. you've got to take notice of it. Okay. That, if that's the case, Sting, you're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it's like... It, it's like it, he's his friend, but it's like it also would be kind of funny to do. This yeah, because <laughs> it seems Luger seems like the kind of guy that uh, if you're like a friend of his or he, if you're someone he listens to, yeah, he will probably listen to anything you say. Well, and um, the way Sullivan sort of makes it sound is is Luger wasn't great at politicking or any of that stuff, mm-hmm. um, and Sting liked Le- he was such good friends with Lex. He looked out for him, and he kind of did the maneuvering for Lex, making sure he had stuff to do and a you know top sure. spot and all that so you know and we talked about way back in our premiere episode uh sting's active lobbying just to get luger into wcw because bischoff did not like him <laughs> yes that's right before we get too far in today's show though i do want to remind everyone that you can find us at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro you can follow us on Twitter at 20 years of nitro. You can email the show at 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. You can sometimes find our episodes on piledriverwrestling.net in the OSW podcast section. And you can always find us at the freaking awesome network. Oh, whoa. At freaking awesome network dot net. Did I say dot com last week? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's our slogan. I didn't anymore because if I did, I'm going to edit it out. <laughs> Pepe is in the Nashville spirit dressed up as Elvis. Uh, Mongo speculates that Lex is probably eating raw meat while camping for some... I don't know why. It's one night and he has a cooler. Why would he have gone down to eating raw meat? <laughs> the, and the whole thing with the, with the cooler, he has a bunch of food on top of the cooler. <laughs> 
It's not like he he's just gonna eat it. It's like laid out. Do you think in the cooler is just a bunch of protein shakes? <laughs> just like it's just packed to the gills with protein shakes or, or raw meat, apparently. <laughs> like after, he was like, I want to bring these bananas, but I mean this thing's already packed with raw meat, so I'm just gonna put it on top. We're told that uh, Chris Benoit is going to be on the show uh, to face Dave Taylor, but right now the Steiner brothers are going to take on Public Enemy. Public Enemy have got the jobber entrance to start the show. They are already in the ring, and out come the Steiners. Bobby puts over the Steiners as technical greats and tough street fighters, uh, which is impressive because usually he's just going on about how insane and like yeah. cavemen-like they are. <laughs> right. Before the match, Eric tells us that the Macho Man has been barred from appearing on television for tonight's show. Uh, they couldn't claim that he was outright suspended for dropping the elbow on a referee last week because he had appeared at a bunch of house shows because the flair macho man angle is drawing pretty well on the house show circuit right now. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't just outright suspend him. So he has been barred from appearing on television as sort of their half-assed way of doing it. <laughs> this, uh, this does bring up a question. Yeah. Because they say Randy Savage has been banned from the arena. Yeah. But that he is outside of the arena. Yeah. And also Lex Luger's outside the arena. Yeah, how those two don't like each other? How come he, they didn't like fight outside the arena? <laughs> well, when we see Lex, it's uh, the middle of the night. When we see Randy outside the arena, uh, it's not. Let's put it that way. <laughs> also, we don't know what time Macho Man showed up. I doubt it was three in the morning when Lex was getting his sleep in. <laughs> Rocco Rock and Scott Steiner start things off inside the ring. Collar elbow tie-up sees Scott get the advantage, and he wrenches on Rocco's arm. He goes for a suplex, but Rock escapes. After an Irish whip, Scott hits a press slam, throwing Rock onto Johnny Grunge, who has come in to interfere. Rick then comes in and double clotheslines the members of Public Enemy. Rick barks, and the Steiners pose. <laughs> After a brief pause, Rick and Grunge are both tagged in. They lock up, and Grunge quickly takes over with a knee and some low blows, but Rick isn't all into selling that much, and he gets back into things quickly with a shoulder block, scoop slam, and an elbow drop for a one-and-a-half count uh, before it's broken up by Rocco Rock. Scott Steiner is tagged in, and he gets a belly-to-belly -belly suplex on Grunge. He goes for a pin, but this time Rocco doesn't even allow a one-count before he breaks it up. The announcers spend a good deal of the match talking about how the Steiners are going to be forced to fight each other come Slamboree, as they are on opposing tag teams in the Lethal Lottery, as are the Road Warriors and Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Public Enemy actually locked out as they were randomly paired together, much like the other tag team Fire and Ice uh, that we mentioned earlier were randomly placed together. Randomly. Public Enemy will be taking on Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit, who are not getting along lately on the B-shows, as Benoit is blaming Sullivan for the loss of Brian Pillman and subsequent... Uh, apparent demise of the four horsemen they haven't actually been killed off as a faction but mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes they are certainly not acting as a faction lately right all four men brawl outside the ring after an aborted pin attempt eventually grunge holds rick on the apron as rocco rock comes off the ropes with for a big punch rick dodges and rock punches grunge instead he quickly gets over it though and gouges rick in the eye he punches rick in the gut and dances a bit before kneeing him on the ground he hits a scoop slam and goes to the top rope, but Rick hits the ropes and Rocco is crotched, allowing Rick to hit a vertical suplex and tag in Scott. Scott gets a tilt-a-whirl slam and flexes happily for the crowd before setting Rocco on the top rope for a 10-punch spot, which is interrupted by Johnny Grunge. Grunge holds Scott's legs as Rocco comes off the top with a flying headbutt. They keep Scott isolated in the corner as Eric asks Mongo about a confrontation that Mongo had with Flair in the locker room recently. 
Mongo is too hot to talk about it, but says something is in the works for the future between him and Ric Flair. Uh-oh. Some kind of confrontation is coming. Something is happening. Here in a wrestling organization, what kind of thing could happen <laughs> that would allow these two people to settle their differences? Perhaps some sort of physical uh, competition of some sort. Between a former <laughs> professional athlete and a wrestling champion <laughs> like Ric Flair. With Scott in the mat, Grunge tags in Rocco Rock, who climbs the ropes while holding Grunge's hands, using the steadying hold to flip off the top rope and on to Scotty Steiner. He tags back in Grunge, and they hit a double elbow. Rocco Rock heads back up to the top and goes for a senton, but Scott moves and tags in Rick. Bischoff announces uh, the switch to the two-hour show beginning on May 27th, as Rick's hot tag consists entirely of belly-to-belly suplexes on Public Enemy, one after the other. <laughs> on the outside of the ring, Public Enemy overwhelms Rick, and Rocco goes back into the ring for a somersault senton over the top rope to the outside, but Rick moves, and Rocco hits grunge. No! Public Enemy look very stupid this match. <laughs> they are constantly hitting each other accidentally. Yep. Uh, they get in, like, two moves of offense before the Steiners are like, okay, I, I sold a punch, like, now I'm taking over. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they look the Steiners make Public Enemy look pretty shitty in yeah. my opinion. No, I agree. Rick rolls Rocco into the ring where he is the recipient of a Frankensteiner from Scott for the pinfall victory in what's little more than a uh, squash match. Yeah, and also once upon a time Scott Steiner's Frankensteiner looked really impressive. It's not looking so impressive anymore, and really it's kind of demeaning that he has to be pinned after that. Yeah, he's he's too big, really, to do it right now. Yeah. Although I do like when he hits a Frankensteiner that he does, like, the fist pump. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like there's Got him. Okay. Match never really got going for me. Very underwhelming. Sounds like you thought the same. Yeah. Public Enemy looked dumb and just not at all in the Steiner's League, and I don't know what happened to Public Enemy's feud with the Nasty Boys. Or what happened to the Nasty or, Boys? Yeah, what happened to the Nasty Boys? <laughs> I guess they were so embarrassed at seeing Johnny Grunge come in uh, nastified that they just never wanted to appear on Nitro again. <laughs> After a commercial break, Squire Dave Taylor comes out with Jeeves, and Bischoff reminds us that uh, Dave Taylor will be teaming up with Regal at Slamboree to replace the supposedly injured Belfast Bruiser. As Taylor comes to the ring, we see the empty VIP table uh, that was introduced last week for Ric Flair is still in the entrance aisle. As Chris Benoit makes his first Nitro appearance in what feels like forever, Eric tells us that DDP, who lost an I Quit Wrestling match to the Booty Man back at Uncensored, has reappeared and now has a mysterious benefactor uh, bankrolling him. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there's a hilarious segment on Saturday night where DDP is essentially, like, homeless, yeah, and he's picked up by a guy in a limo uh, who you never see. You only see his, like, tuxedoed arm with a white-gloved hand. Mm-hmm. And he, like, goes around paying for DDP to get a haircut and new clothes. And the whole time they're playing really generic, like, 90s hip-hop that they've kind of remixed using lines from the vignette. So, like, he'll go to a, guy, a clothes shop and the guy will be like, all right, DDP, I'm going to hook you up right. And then they'll show him, like, taking clothes off the shelf and you'll just hear, like, all right, DDP, all right, DDP, I'm going to hook you up right. <laughs> It's it's so, wow. so bad and really, really funny. Uh, I hope it's on YouTube. Anyway, anyway, so uh, the storyline explanation is that DDP signed the contract for the I Quit Wrestling match against Johnny B. Bad and that losing to the fill-in booty man uh, was ah, a loophole okay. that his 
New York lawyer, as it's put, <laughs> uh, was able to get him inserted back into WCW. Meet one of those fancy big city lawyers. <laughs> I'd like to point out that retroactively, this means that uh, instead of the previous two, there are now three matches at uncensored, an unsanctioned event that were massively affected by contract stipulations. <laughs> That's, I, I'm happy you pointed that out. Bobby says that he doesn't have an answer for how DDP is able to keep coming back, and Mongo says that he has an answer, uh, and his answer is that Bobby should go get some penicillin for that rash. <laughs> Good one? <laughs> it's so unrelated. <laughs> it's just uh, classic Mongo. Oh, oh, Mongo. After a commercial, it is time for Chris Benoit versus David Taylor, and here to call all the action is 20 Years of Nitro... European correspondent, <laughs> Dave Amendorp. Top of the morning to you. <laughs> wow. What? What? Nail that accent. <laughs> right? You put me on spot, that's what you get. <laughs> you get like a C effort, C minus effort. Um, also, I wanted to know, because we talked last week about the Belfast Bruiser um, going to going back to Ireland due to his injuries. Um, this time when, when Squire David Taylor was coming out, um, and they're talking about him replacing the Belfast Bruiser. Eric Bischoff uh, elaborated that he's going back to Ireland to see his personal physician due to his injury sustained uh, in the background brawl. Okay, okay. Or maybe he didn't want any like any uh, dirty yanks <laughs> looking after his injuries. <laughs> I would have loved a promo or segment where he said as much. That'd <laughs> right. be good heel heat. <laughs> and you were mentioning the banquet table at this point. This is also when I noticed it. I don't know if it was just, I mean, did we just not get, like, a, a an angle at it? or Because they, they moved the barricade. Yeah. They, clearly they they made room for this banquet table. I, I, was, I was just really surprised I didn't notice it because it's pretty close to the ring. Yeah, I don't know. It was the first time I noticed it as well. Okay. Um, oh, that's right. After they were introduced, we went to a commercial break. When we came back, we can quickly see a collar and elbow tie-up from the two Gabans. A second tap is also quickly abandoned. You know, when they're talking about the bruiser going back to his physician, Bobby does a very good job of putting over how tough the bruiser is because he says that he had gone down to the WCW offices and threw a fit and was, like, throwing things around mm -hmm. uh, because he wanted so badly to be in the lethal lottery, but that, like, for his own good, they won't let him participate. Oh, so that okay. was a good way of putting over, you know, like, we're saying he – He's not going to be in it because he's injured, but, like, he's not some pussy who's hurt. Like, he was, like, throwing shit around Atlanta. Right. And, you know, we had to remove him kind of thing. <laughs> right. Um, the two wrestlers attempt uh, calling elbow tie-up number three, and this one holds true as the two men grapple corner to corner as they try to get the upper hand. While Nick Patrick tries to get the hold broken, Squire Dave Taylor shoves Benoit to the mat with a hand to the face. How disrespectful. <laughs> Uh, Taylor then scores a single leg takedown, but when Benoit rolls over to avoid a leg lock, Taylor decides to flip over from a non-existent force. Yeah. It was really weird, and Benoit gets up, and he, he's he's like, huh? <laughs> so he so without knowing to, what to do, he decides to taunt him with the four-fingered four salute of the four horsemen. Yeah. Dave Taylor again goes for a single leg takedown, only this time Benoit counters with an insiguri. Chris Benoit takes a, a moment to acknowledge the fans, and he receives a very decent ovation. Mm -hmm. And I, I made a note here that Nitro has missed the Crippler. 
It's I, it's impressive the fans are this into him since you know, he hasn't been on much and mm-hmm. really like before before he vanished was basically his debut. It's yeah. not like he'd been around for years and now he hasn't been on much. Like right. they've barely got to see him and yet they still have a pretty big appreciation for mm-hmm. what he's able to do. After returning to his feet, Squire David Taylor drops Benoit with a couple of vicious European uppercuts. And when he was doing this, I, I was thinking about maybe in Europe or wrestlers in Europe use like the uppercut to kind of break in rookies. Mm. Um, because every every European wrestler I know, when they do that, they hit guys really hard. Yeah, sort of like how um, to break in rookies here in the States, uh, you have JBL rape them in the shower. <laughs> For example. <laughs> We all have our own traditions. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll just let that hang there for a minute. Yeah, that's cool. No, that's cool. Taylor bounces off the ropes and Benoit leapfrogs him. However, when he tries to follow up with a monkey flip, which I would like to note is one of my all-time least favorite moves. Yeah, you hate that monkey flip. <laughs> as Squire David Taylor does as well as he get as he kicks him square in the kisser for his efforts. <laughs> And then we were reminded that Squire David Taylor's taunt of choice is a peace sign. Good for him. Well, in England, that that's like a, the middle finger. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, then his really happy demeanor is really confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to make a, a note here as far as the term squire. While squires of the past were the tenants to a knight before becoming a knight themselves, in modern Europe, a squire can simply be a key public figure. Today is used as a more of an informal term, like addressing a gentleman as sir. So the fact that he's called Squire David Taylor doesn't really indicate a rank or anything like that. Anyway, Squire David Taylor sends Chris Benoit to the ropes and tries for his own leapfrog, but Benoit hangs onto the ropes before drilling Taylor with an elbow to the chops. After nailing Taylor with some pretty stiff punches and more four-finger taunting, Benoit slingshots Taylor into the buckle, which Dave Taylor executes with almost negative athleticism. Chris Benoit slams his head to the turnbuckle a second time before hitting him with a chop, which drops Taylor. As Benoit, looks t- as Benoit took a moment to gather his thoughts, he gets another round of applause from the audience. <laughs> Once back to their feet, Benoit whips Taylor into the corner, only to miss a running elbow. He gets drilled with another hard European uppercut and decides to take a breather outside the ring. While reeling outside the ring, Squire David Taylor hits Benoit with a double axe handle smash out the ring apron, then follows it up with giving the crippler a mouthful of barricade. And for dessert, Benoit gets some ring post. As Nick Patrick checks on the fallen horseman, Dave Taylor flips back into the ring before treating the crowd to his peace sign, which he's really telling them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I not like the idea that he like flips into the ring and stops and is like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> he probably enjoys being able to do it on television. I, I, I guess this really it changes my whole perspective on the guy. <laughs> um, Benoit gets back to the ring and counters a whip into the turnbuckles, but when he tries to scale the corner, Dave Taylor catches him with a back body drop. This is followed up by a fallaway slam, which Taylor rolls with in order to get a, a pin attempt, but only gets a two. At this point, the light bulb turns out in Mongo's mind because he realizes that Macho Man Randy Savage is, in fact, outside the arena. Ooh. <laughs> After being told about it about 25 minutes <laughs> earlier. <laughs> and at this point, he abruptly leaves the announcer's table to go address something. 
Meanwhile, in the ring, Benoit whips Taylor into the corner, but the Squire takes advantage of the momentum and jumps onto the middle turnbuckle. You know, after after Mongo leaves, Bobby goes, now bolt the doors. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh... Squire David Taylor uh, jumped on the middle turnbuckle, and he, he attempts to flip back for a crossbody. However, Chris Benoit ducks that attempt. When Taylor returned to his feet, Benoit quickly sees the opportunity to hit the dragon suplex for the three count. And again, the fans give a good reaction to Chris Benoit. Yeah. And in general, it just uh, the way the fans reacted, you could tell that they, they're a big fan of his and that they want to see more of him, and I agree. Uh, overall, I would say it, it, it was a... Uh, it's an interesting contrast of styles between the two. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that Dave Taylor is a guy that's more used to beating up on guys, whereas Benoit is kind of more used to having most of the offense. So yeah. It, it had like a very interesting dynamic. But um, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. And it was, it's good for both guys just to be on Nitro for a change. I concur, especially with that last point. After a commercial, uh, we go to Mean Gene, who is outside the arena. Uh, where he is joined by an angry Mongo McMichael, and let's go to an audio clip. All right, we're back on WCW Monday Nitro. We are in Nashville, Tennessee. We are live, and with me at this time is the Macho Man Randy Savage. He has been barred from the building. He is persona non grata here. And, Randy, I've followed you for your entire career, and in my opinion, the train's in town. In my opinion, you have lost it. What's the deal, man? Wait, wait a second here, just a second. Wait a minute, baby. If anybody in the WCW can sympathize with what you're going through, it's Mongo, baby. Ric Flair, you done made a mistake now, darling. It's all right going out and getting your publicity on my behalf out in the front of the whole world, but when you come back in the locker room messing with family, baby, you made it real now, darling, and I'm going to do something about it. Macho, just chill out, baby, because I've got a plan. All right, easy, does it here, just a second. Come on, hey, you're not gonna be allowed in there, Randy, forget it. Yes, Doug Dillinger, please. I have business left here. Can we talk, as Joan Rivers would say? Randy Savage, I wanna say it again. Come here, please, don't walk away from me. You have lost it. Lost what? Your mind. Let me tell you something, I'll tell you crazy. You ain't seen crazy, you ain't seen nuts. I'll talk to you in another lifetime, but not this one. I'm gonna take the WCW and turn it upside down. You got it. Well, it's late. As of late, upside down a little bit. But uh, Randy Savage uh, finds the Magic Johnson to Dennis Rodman. Those failures by comparison. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the money. Do you understand that? Who said that? I don't care about the money. I'll reiterate that. You understand that? Don't tell me where I'm going because you don't know where I've been. Randy Savage. You don't know where I've been. You are going to have to coexist this Sunday. I was there when the gals drew the names of you and the nature boy, Ric Flair, as a team in the lethal lottery if you want to get to battle bowl you're going to have to make it happen with this man wait a minute i don't have a problem with that at all i don't mind dragging a dead tag team oh, partner Sammy, to the ring you are out of luck because i'll win the lethal lottery and i'll do everything i gotta do to get where i gotta get you understand that i, I don't know if i understand uh, or not Please, Randy. I saw a woman psychiatrist, yeah, and she said I was an OCD one cool dude. You understand that? Let me have to. All right, I should point out that WCW officials have told this man to seek behavioral help, whether it's a psychiatrist or some kind of counseling. I don't believe he has done it. Stay tuned. We are live in Asheville, Tennessee, on, and there is more WCW Monday Nitro coming up after this. Don't go away.
So there you go. Mongo tries to talk to the enraged Macho Man. Uh, Mongo talks about Flair for a while, uh, you know, ranting angrily about the alleged backstage incident. And this is not referring, as near as I can tell, to anything that actually happened on television. Yeah. Uh, Mongo doesn't, like, show up on Saturday night or any of the C or B shows, so it's not like it could have happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched all of the last Saturday night just to make sure it wasn't on there. I think this is something fabricated, you know, just to com- you know continue the Debra stuff they started with Debra. Yeah. Um, and I, you can never really show Mongo in the locker room because he's the announcer. He's got to be on the show the whole time. So right. <laughs> I guess they just had to make it up. Macho Man comes. Uh, they really like stressing, by the way, that Macho Man's fine that he got for his behavior recently was equal to Dennis Rodman's fine. They mentioned that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, this was clearly filmed in the middle of the day. Yeah. Because it, it, it is it is bright. It's like noon sunshine <laughs> out. Yes. I think my favorite part of the exchange, though, is me and Gene uh, saying to Randy Savage, you've lost it. And Ma- uh, Macho goes, lost what? And me and Gene angrily goes, you're mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I also love uh, Macho Man saying that he saw a female psychologist who, for some reason, is female, though it plays no part in the rest of the story, right. who told him that he was OCD. One cool dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. this It's bonkers. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in this segment <laughs> yes. here. Another weird part is that when Mongo wants to talk to Macho Man, Macho Man completely leaves the shot. Like, I don't know if he's upset about the way that it kind of comes across like um, like Mongo's physically preventing him from going in and he doesn't like being made to look weak like that because he's, especially at this point in his career, he's, he's very paranoid, very um, suspicious, Yeah, you know, so I, I, I don't know if that or if it was just blocking. They were like, we don't want you blocking the shot, so when he comes out, just leave. But it makes it look like the whole point is that they're going to talk to each other and yet they're almost in the same frame at no point. And, the, and Mongo talks to Macho Man, but Macho Man does not respond to anything he says. Mongo just leaves, and then Macho goes back to the microphone and talks more. Yeah. It's a really strange segment. Yeah. I mean, as we've seen in the past with a bunch of guys in the ring, that, that Nitro has had issues with blocking, so I would probably tend to think it was a blocking, uh, blocking thing that ended up looking a lot weirder than they imagined it would. We get another commercial, including a Blood Runs Cold promo. Oh, so cool. Uh, Dave Meltzer in the Observer says that now it is not related to Hall or Nash, but three babyface ninjas, one of whom is Brian Clark, who at this point would be most famous uh, as WWE mid-carter Adam Bomb. <laughs> so we'll see if he's right with this second uh, guess here. I, li- I like the phrase babyface ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing that that movie Three Ninjas was missing. It should have been three babyface ninjas. <laughs> right. It works because they're kids, too. It's got, like, a right. lot of meaning. Uh, after another commercial, Mongo is back in the booth as VK Wall Street comes out. Mongo refuses to reveal the details of uh, his confrontation with Flair uh, that's that's coming up, but he does make allusions to Kevin Green uh, being with him. Yep. Uh, listeners of this show will remember Kevin Green as the Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker who appeared on Clash of the Champions back in January, a mere week before losing in the Super Bowl. He has recently signed with the Carolina Panthers, who are heading into their second season of existence. Uh, they were a expansion team that started in 95. They are aware that he has future commitments with WCW, and though unhappy about it, they knew about it when they signed him, and they have thus been unable to talk him out of it. <laughs> Flair enters uh, with Woman and Liz. 
and it's going to be Flair versus VK Wall Street with our financial correspondent, <laughs> Dave Amendorp. <laughs> I just, I like the idea that it's like, trying to side Kevin Green, he's like, just so you know, I'm going to be doing this wrestling stuff. I would love to play linebacker for you. Uh, 13 million, great. Yep, let's do it. Just so you know. <laughs> right. Here's the thing. Uh, it's going to be after minicamp has started. I'm going to need to fly out. <laughs> Management's like, uh-huh. Okay, but uh-huh. you're you're just going to stand around. Uh, no, I'm 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 going to kind of be in a in a match. <laughs> oh boy. Not to spo- I mean spoiler alert. Spoiler alert on something that happened literally 20 years ago and that's the entire point <laughs> of this podcast, but right. Oh boy. Anyway, so we have VK Wall Street versus Nature Boy Ric Flair, which is an odd matchup because it's it's obviously a heel versus heel bout. I, that was a question I had. Do you think, I mean, just based on what we're seeing here, other than the macho and the mago stuff, they're very angry at him. Mm-hmm. Is Flair a babyface or a turning babyface? He lost his belt to a heel uh-huh. in the Giant. He came and confronted the Giant last week and was about to be chokeslammed, but he was saved by Sting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's out here facing a heel this week. You know, WCW will throw out heel versus heel matchups occasionally. Yeah. So that doesn't necessarily... But do you feel like Flair is getting some babyface treatment over the last few weeks? A, a little bit. I, I felt like for this particular match, since it is in Tennessee, it's all along the Bible Belt. That's where he's really popular. Yeah. And it was... <laughs> because he's such a, you know, Bible adherent in his own life. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, so I, I, I tend to think that since they're in the South, in the area where he's really popular, they want to make sure that he was out there wrestling yeah. and that, that the fans would probably cheer him anyway. So why not just put him up against a heel for this show? That was my guess. You're right. I mean, when you're in Flair country, Flair's a baby face. Why not just, if he's not in a major angle on the show, book him to be a baby face for the week. Why not? I, you're probably absolutely right. Yeah. So before this match started, I, I was thinking, oh, okay, so Ric Flair's going to play the face in this. VK Wall Street's going to play the heel. Let's see how this plays out. You'll, and you'll hear how this plays out as well <laughs> for the incredibly long life this match goes on. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ric Flair dances with woman, then moves in the direction of the announcer's booth to taunt Mongo. I couldn't hear Mongo actually make any sort of acknowledgement, but... I, I feel like the, where the announcer's table is, he might not have even seen that. Yeah. The match begins with everyone's favorite move, the collar and elbow tie-up, which Wall Street quickly transitions into a headlock takedown. He holds the headlock on Flair, who counters it with a pinning attempt for two. Back on the feet, Flair whips Wall Street into the ropes to escape the headlock, but is dropped by a shoulder block. After both men make it, take a few moments to regain their composure, they circle each other up, and tie up again, with Flair transitioning into a headlock, floating over into a hammerlock. VK Wall Street reverses a hammerlock into one of his own, and Nature Boy counters that with a drop toehold. Flair attempts a front face lock, but Wall Street counters it into a hammerlock, and then snaps the arm back using his feet. At this point, I did note, like you tend to note, is this is one of those moments where Eric Bischoff was really adamant about doing the play-by-play calls. Yeah, You can definitely tell... And sometimes he says something, and then I, I look it up to make sure I'm calling it right instead of calling whatever <laughs> he's calling. But for the most part, he was getting these right. Um, back to the feet. The two men feel each other out before another collar and elbow tie-up, 
and it's Wall Street that gets a headlock applied. Flair backs VK into the corner, hits a couple of chops, but apparently no one sells Ric Flair's chops as Wall Street reverses and unloads with chops of his own. <laughs> no one sells Ric Flair's chops. No. I don't. But I think he likes it. I, I tend to. <laughs> um, as, as, as this match progresses, you can kind of tell that you know Ric Flair will sell for anyone. Um, after a few of the chops of his own, he then hip-tosses Flair back into the middle of the ring as Woman screams from ringside. Wall Street rips, whips Flair's off the rope and hits a back body drop, and now the Nature Boy is begging off the insult. And, it, and, and so he rolls out of the ring and hightails it, but also struts a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> He was clearly reeling from these moves, but he manages to do just a little bit of strutting. <laughs> it's like a it's like a, a muscle memory or something yeah, like that. It's built into his instinct. <laughs> VK Wall Street lets Flair take his time getting back into the ring, where they engage in yet another collar and elbow tie-up. Flair gets a headlock, but Wall Street sends him into the ropes. Flair drops to Wall Street with a shoulder block, tries to jump VK coming off the adjacent side, but is dropped with a toehold. Wall Street then applies a calf crusher as we head to a commercial break. When we return to the match, VK Wall Street is pounding Ric Flair in the corner with chops as Randy Anderson does his best to distract everyone by standing on the ropes. Wall Street whips him into the opposite corner and Flair flips over the top turnbuckle before spilling out onto the arena floor. VK follows Flair to the outside and unloads with punches as Flair leans against the corner of the barricades. Were then treated to a flare flop onto the floor mats. Flair catches Wall Street with a punch to the gut and rolls him into the ring, but makes a mistake of going to the top turnbuckle. VK Wall Street <laughs> is quick to slam him back into the ring. You know, for a legend and a at this point, what, like 12, 13 time world champion? Yeah. You'd think he would have learned that the top rope's just not for him. <laughs> right. Like when is you're what you're a great wrestler, Ric Flair. Just you gotta you gotta not be so stubborn. <laughs> Stop going to the top rope, man. They call it a high risk maneuver for a reason, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and at this point, this is when you kind of realize that VK Wall Street has basically decided to play the the face in this. I gotta I gotta be honest. Uh, I I'd have to say it at some point during this match, I didn't want like knowing that you were gonna be doing the play by play. I didn't make a single note. Right. I was like, VK Wall Street is on. He seems like a good guy and like a, a solid worker, mm-hmm. but there's something about him that just sucks charisma out of like out yeah. of the building. And I tuned this match out to a degree that I've not done on this <laughs> podcast before. Trust me, there was a lot of pausing going on for me. <laughs> Um, after he, after Wall Street slams Flair off of the turnbuckle, he sends Flair into the ropes and connects with another back body drop. At this point, Flair starts begging off. VK Wall Street pumps his fist to the crowd for no reaction at all <laughs> as he is still just VK Wall Street. What was he expecting to happen? I don't know. It's not like he's a heel who the crowd wants to cheer, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he's just a lower very low mid card heel, right? Who's all almost always been a heel. Yeah. Going back to his time as Mike Rotundo with um, the Varsity Squad was that what they were called? Yeah. Yep. And uh, and then as IRS and then this VK Wall Street, like people have never cheered. Why would they? Why would anyone want to cheer you right now? <laughs> you gave you gave years worth of promos about taxes. Right. Jesus Christ. No one's gonna cheer you. 
Your last name is Wall Street. <laughs> uh, another trip into the ropes and the aforementioned Wall Street hits a delayed Samoan drop. A cover attempt is broken up by Flair's foot on the ropes, which woman tries assist, but, I mean, Flair already had it on the ropes. But, you know, it's Ric Flair and woman. They have to cheat somehow. While Wall Street is arguing with the referee's lack of three count, Flair grabs him by the singlet and tosses him to the ringside. However, when Flair tries to drag VK back in the ring, he gets a shoulder to the gut, sending, setting up Wall Street for a sunset flip that gets a two count. Both men get to their feet, and when Ric Flair attempts a hip toss, Wall Street reverses it into a backslide. Uh-oh. Which, as always, Nature Boy sells like a champ and sells <laughs> like death is itself is coming before him <laughs> before kicking out at two. When he, when he goes one day, it'll be a backslide. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> He's in a backslide into his grave. <laughs> Somehow the funeral's already going on. He, it's planned even though he's alive. And he'll show up and someone will backslide him into the coffin <laughs> like, and it'll lower to the he'll ground. He'll be like, no! Shaking his head, no! But it, it's, it's nice to laugh a little bit because... There's nothing fun oh, about this goddamn match. Oh, man. Yeah, it's brutal. Okay. So, after Nature Boy kicks out the backslide, uh, Wall Street is undeterred and clotheslines Flair over the top rope and onto the floor. And again, it's one of those things where I, I just I don't understand what gets you disqualified when it comes to over the top rope. Yeah. I just, I just try not to pay attention. VK Wall Street follows Flair to the outside, and when Flair decided to take a breather against the ring post... Wall Street makes the asinine mistake of going for a running knee towards a knee po- ring post, <laughs> which Flair obviously moves out of the way and connects with nothing but metal. Now Ric Flair smells blood as he gets Wall Street just far enough into the ring so he can slam the newly injured leg against the same ring post. As Flair returns to the ring, we see Miss Elizabeth, who is distracted referee for some goddamn reason, <laughs> <laughs> as... I've never in the history of wrestling seen a wrestler get disqualified for using the ring post like that. So why is she distracting him? I don't know. And apparently she didn't know because as soon as Ric Flair gets back in the ring, she just vanishes from sight. <laughs> At this point, Nature Boy slaps on the figure four leg lock for the submission victory. And uh, VK Wall Street was already submitting by the time Woman comes in for the assist <laughs> because he just he has to cheat no matter who it's against. So... As you might have heard, this match was insanely long. Oh, boy. And there was so much. So not only was it long, there were a lot of repeated spots. Yeah. Lots of um, collar and elbow into headlocks, back body drops, stuff like that. It just went on forever. And uh, I, I'm i happy that it's over now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Dave. This match can't hurt you any longer. <laughs> After a commercial, Mean Gene is with Ric Flair over at the VIP table, and let's go to an audio clip. All right, I thank you very much, Eric. Uh, Very exciting contest. I don't think, Ric Flair, you have endeared yourself to the good people of Nashville, Tennessee, but then you haven't been doing a whole lot of that lately. They've not thought much of a nature boy since I made Dolly Parton ride Space Mountain one night. Let's, let's talk about comments that I received earlier 
from the Macho Man, Randy Savage, the man who this Sunday at Slamboree is going to be your partner, is unglued. Did I hear the Macho Man say he would drag a dead man to the ring? That's exactly what he said. Genius. Oh, please, Blair. <laughs> I get the message. Does the nature boy look like he's dead to you? <laughs> Macho! Slavery! I'm gonna wear a new tuxedo. The girls are gonna be dressed to kill. And we're gonna knock WCW out its ass, brother. Woo! Oh, you know, you have been eyeballing a lot of the ladies uh, lately. As a matter of fact, Woo! you have taken visual liberties by a young lady by the name of Deborah Mitchell. Oh! You're gonna bring up that football player that dares to be a defensive lineman talking to Joe Namath. Brother, that's the difference. While you rolled in the dirt to become a four-time All-Pro, I got my fingernails manicured. I stayed up all night. I threw touchdown pass, woo, after touchdown pass. And brother, look at my wide receivers. Woo! Yes, uh, thank you very much, ladies. I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot rake. More Nitro coming up after this here on TNT. you got to be wow. coming Coming up next, Lex Luger. Flair implies that the people of Nashville don't like him ever since he fucked Jolly Parton. Actually, he doesn't just say he fucked Jolly Parton. He says he made her ride Space Mountain. Whoa. Yeah, that's an interesting word choice. Ooh. He kisses Liz's arms up and down and sweats all over her and it looks really gross. <laughs> He talks shit about the Macho Man a bit before dancing with a woman. Mean Gene asks about his interactions with Deborah, and Flair says, you're talking about the football player that dares to be a defensive lineman, which I thought was really, like, it was so impertinent of him to be a defensive lineman. Yeah. He then calls Woman and Liz his wide receivers, which is gross as hell. Well, I mean, no, he was, he was making the point where it's like, how dare him, the defensive lineman, talk to me because I'm Joe Namath. Okay. I, I'm the quarterback. You don't talk to me because I'm like way above you. And then that like parlayed into the fact yeah. that he has his wide receivers. But yeah. Uh, but I feel I feel like wide receivers was a double entendre about their vaginas. <laughs> you know what? I think you might be right about that. <laughs> I, think I think that I think the hit was that Ric Flair said yeah. it. It was pretty subtle, but we. Re- <laughs> <laughs> I felt that Ric Flair gave a really dynamite promo. I mean, especially considering that he literally like walked up there after wrestling a match. Yeah. Um, and he's a uh, Ric Flair fired up, especially like when he's like exerted himself. He, it's a, it's like, he's just on his game. He's like firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Like the high of performing and the audience being into it just yeah. really puts him at, at his peak. You're absolutely right. Like, uh, uh um, last week's Ric Flair's segment where he was like pretty much just like sitting and drinking for a while. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a big difference for like what he's like focused and in on the show, yeah, and when he's just like brought in, um, and I, I think it was really apparent. And so th- I felt like this is one of the better flare promos we've gotten, uh, since we started Nitro. Really, after a commercial, uh, the giant, the champion, I remind you, is already in the ring getting the jobber entrance. <laughs> Wait, holy shit! So is Lex Luger. Both competitors in this title match have gotten <laughs> jobber entrances. I that's got to be a first, right? Yeah, as far as I can tell. Luger and the Giant 
size each other up, and Lex talks shit until the giant pushes him back. Lex comes back with a series of shoulder blocks, but the giant no-sells, and Lex goes down to the mat each time before eating a giant clothesline. After an Irish whip, Luger kicks the giant in the gut and tries for a clothesline, but it fails to have any impact. Giant shoves Lex by the face to the outside. Giant pulls him back up to the ring apron and tries to suplex him into the ring, but Luger escapes and hits a couple running clotheslines before going for a top rope double axe handle, uh, but the Giant catches him. Giant runs Lex into the turnbuckles in opposite corners of the ring before dropping him unceremoniously to the mat. Giant puts Lex in the corner and chokes him with a boot. Both men come off the ropes and Luger hits uh, the forearm, of course loaded with a steel plate from a motorcycle accident years before, mm -hmm. but the Giant no-sells. The announcers try to figure out what weak spot the giant could possibly have, uh, landing only on his inexperience as, as like the one thing you could yeah. hope to use against him. The giant throws Lex to the outside as Bischoff continues to put over the loaded forearm by saying it knocked Yokozuna out for 10 minutes not that long ago, a reference to the main event of SummerSlam 1993 where Lex won by countout. It seems weird to hear Eric mention the competition so casually without overtly insulting it right but i love it um yeah. and i i think that one of the things i love about wcw at this point in time uh is how they acknowledge that they are a part of a larger wrestling culture yeah they they mention new japan wrestling they bring in their guys occasionally mm -hmm. they mention triple a they bring in their guys occasionally you know something like psychosis who just had one match with uh conan back at clash of the champions before disappearing it's not like you wonder, like, oh, why isn't he was on the roster? What happened? You get that he's a worldwide international performer yep. who had one match in this promotion, and then he went back to his home promotion. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that I love about WCW, and I have long kind of disliked about WWE, the way that they pretend that they're the sole... You, there, there are times they experiment with it. ECW invaded at one point, yep. um, and I don't mean the, the invasion angle of 2002. I mean the ECW invasion of 97? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, they did that. Uh, they had the NWA invasion of 98. Yes. That's very strange to watch now. Yeah. Um, but by and large, especially like 99 on, they pretended like we're the only wrestling there is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, and they're changing now, not so much with the main product, but with NXT. Um, you know, they, they have Bobby Roode on, and they acknowledge that he's a world champion. Yep. Well, the only place he's won a world championship is TNA, and that's the first time, to my knowledge, they've ever, you know, acknowledged that there is this place that has a world champ. You know what I mean? Right, yep. Um, they've got the Global Cruiserweight Challenge, which by the time this episode airs, that might be going? I don't know when that starts exactly, but... No idea. Uh, but that's got a lot of guys that doesn't sound like they're coming in permanently, but they're going to be participating in this thing that's going to air on the WWE Network, mm -hmm. and that's awesome. That that's so good for wrestling. Um, so it's, you know, I really, I don't mean to go on and on and on about it, but I really liked hearing B Bischoff talk about that loaded forearm and how it was, you know, used prominently in the main event of a big pay per view, yep. even if it was the other guys. The Giant joins Luger on the outside of the ring, picking up Lex and tossing him effortlessly over the top rope and back into the ring. Uh, it should be noted that Jimmy Hart is firmly on the side of the Giant in this match. There's no indication that he is sympathetic to Lex getting his ass kicked by the Giant or anything like that. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Some guys you don't understand what their motivation is from week yeah. to week, and Jimmy Hart's definitely one of those. Guys. Oh, Jimmy Hart still never explained why he betrayed Hulk Hogan back at Halloween Havoc. 
He told us that he would put it in his book, but as far as I know... I was about to say, when's the book coming out? (laughs) Still working on it. (laughs) We cut to Flair and the ladies at the VIP table where Liz is feeding him a chocolate. Luger is back in the ring with the giant standing on the ring apron, and Lex gets the advantage with some punches and shoulders to the gut before finally him knocking him off the railing, before finally knocking him off the apron with a second loaded forearm. By the way, I wanted to just mention as far as the uh, the banquet table, yeah, is that the Flair is back in his robe, yeah, <laughs> and and I was like, oh, it's gonna be all sweaty inside that. Gross. He, yeah, he, he must send uh, Arn to get that dry cleaned. <laughs> I mean, that's probably where Arn's been all these weeks. Actually, oh, well, he's not. I was going to say he probably sends uh, Charles Robinson to do it, but Robinson's not around for another year, I think. (laughs) The giant uh, pulls Lex out of the ring and leads him over to the VIP table. He kindly removes the candelabra and assorted shit on the table as Flair pitches a fit. Giant chokeslams Lex right through the table as Flair and the women huddle in fear. A woman screaming at the top of her lungs as if Lex is someone that she gives a shit about. Right. (laughs) The bell rings as Jimmy Hart hops on the giant's back to try and stop the attack. So I guess he cares about Lex a little bit. I mean, he let him get chokeslammed through the table, Mm -hmm. and then he's like, all right, that's enough. (laughs) Sting shows up and focuses on the injured Lex as the giant is pushed to the back by Jimmy Hart. Bischoff says that now Lex has finally proved to the world that he is a stand-up guy, (laughs) but that it did him absolutely no good. Like, the lesson uh, of this episode seems to be like, see, Lex Luger's a good guy, and it got him thrown through a table. What, what is it? Like, uh, the moral is, like... Never try. <laughs> Lex, you did your best, and you <laughs> failed miserably. The important thing is, never try. Medics and Doug Dillinger are out to look at Luger, and Sting looks concerned. The announcers talk seriously about their newfound respect for Luger, as he's seemingly full-blown babyface after this. Mean Gene tries to step in for a word, but is admonished by Sting, who says, like, <laughs> Not now, Gene! <laughs> right. And it's the second time I remember this happening, the first being Macho Man injured, and even Hogan turned down a chance to talk into a live mic <laughs> to tell Gene to fuck off. <laughs> Bobby makes a shitty joke, and one that he's used before, about Lex singing with Billy Ray Cyrus about his achy, breaky back. Yeah. And Eric <laughs> Eric just goes, shut up, Heenan. <laughs> <laughs> like, in exactly that tone. Yeah. And for <laughs> once, I'm on Bischoff's side. Yeah. <laughs> the announcers do their usual talking to end the show, with Bischoff stressing that Sting will now be doubly motivated to beat the Giant coming up this weekend at Slamboree, but Bobby ain't buying it. As the show ends, Bobby goes, hey, I just got word, Try uh, going back to his old, like, bullshit thing. Yeah. Uh, except for that this time there's still another seven to ten seconds, so he just stops talking because he <laughs> didn't just get word of anything, and it really awkwardly exposes his joke. Uh, so that's our episode of Nitro. Dave, what was your segment of the night? Um, Segment of the night, I would probably go... With the actual Ric Flair promo. Okay, hang on. Because let me say mine, because I feel like you're going to change it. Okay. Uh, it's easily Lex Luger camping outside the stadium. <laughs> right? Right? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My MVP of the night is Lex Luger camping outside the arena. <laughs> Hands down. Hands down. <laughs> the way he swatted that bug. Amazing. Uh well I I actually will give my MVP to Ric Flair, um, not on account of the actual match though because like hey, Ric Flair 
I know you like to sell, but you just sold way too much for VK Wall Street. But I really liked his promo. I liked the fact that he just put on his robe and was eating grapes right next to the arena. Yeah. And when the Giant put uh, Lex Luger through the table, he sold it more than everyone else. <laughs> because I only, when you said that they backed off, like Flair was one leg over the barricade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. And that was, to me, was hilarious. Uh, so there's a lot of like unintentional humor in this episode. So kudos to Lex Luger and to Ric Flair. Would you say, speaking of unintentional humor, would you say that the Luger camping shot is intentional humor or unintentional humor? Uh, <laughs> I think I think the intent was for it to be serious to show his commitment. But I I disagree. I think that personally, I think they knew exa- like exactly what they were doing. Well, well I th- I don't know if Lex knew. Let me put I, it that way. I was, I was going to say. <laughs> I feel like that they they let Lex think it was a it was a good move, <laughs> yeah. But it was really like the guys in the back are gonna have a good laugh of him like sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> and I also like going on from last week. Lex Luger proves himself to be a good guy for all these shitty things happening. To him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now that he just got brutally thrown through a table, we respect him. <laughs> In our Raw recap this week, Ahmed Johnson defeated Zip. Vader defeated Duke Drozzi. Justin Bradshaw beat Aldo Montoya. And Shawn Michaels triumphed over Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Hmm. Uh, not quite as good a card as we had last week with Raw. And that may have rubbed off in the ratings a little bit as Raw last week got a 4.1 unopposed. This week they're once again unopposed, but this week they are down to a 3.5. Ooh. Nitro last week was at a 1.9, and this week is up to a 2.3. Pretty good for still being out of their normal time slot. Yeah. Um, Not great, but given the circumstances, I think they'd take a 2.3. I want to note that I I disagree with this, but Meltzer says in the Wrestling Observer, Dave Meltzer, of course, uh, that the crowd was dead for the show, partly because that signs were being violently confiscated and that there appeared to be a tremendous paranoia among security during the event, which affected the crowd. Uh, I don't know. I'm assuming he got that note from, like, a disgruntled fan that got their sign ripped away. Sure. I didn't think the crowd was dead at all. No, I thought it was a pretty good crowd. I mean, uh, Benoit, like, they were cheering for Benoit yeah. when uh, I they were reacting when it wasn't, like, their obligation to react. Yeah. Uh, so I thought it was a good crowd. I would I would also agree with you to disagree with. Meltzer. This is another interesting note. Uh, he says that WCW had people attempting to give cues to the fans on how to react, uh, which I mentioned because I think that's interesting. I don't know if you've seen it um, back a couple months ago at, at WrestleMania 32. Some video came out afterward of uh, WWE using like the Tron uh, to like lead chants. Oh. You know, and essentially tell people what to chant and when. Okay. Which is, you know, that's not uncommon in sports. Yeah. Um, But I think you get into dicey territory with that with wrestling when the live reaction of the crowd is like the entire point. Yeah. And if you start trying to manufacture that, uh, I don't know. It's a kind of a weird territory that I, I don't think wrestling shows should get into. So I thought it was interesting that right as that's kind of a story... Mm-hmm. Um that I read about WCW doing the same thing. And that's the only time I've ever read about any attempt by them other than um, much, much later when they're sort of known for piping in the Goldberg chants. Yeah, that's a ways down the road. Uh, uh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, 
On the B shows this week, uh, favorites of ours, Akira Hakuto and Bull Nakano, had matches against each other, and then each had matches against Medusa. So they finally gave her a little bit of competition, uh, <laughs> though it's still far away from Nitro. The Giant, uh, billed as Paul the Giant White, has been filming a movie in Portland, Oregon, called Reggie's Prayer. Oh. Have you ever heard of Reggie's Prayer, Dave? <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, well, the movie is available in full on YouTube, and it features Packers star Reggie White playing an NFL star also named Reggie, what? who retires to be a high school teacher for at-risk youth, one of whom is kidnapped by the villain played by Paul White. <laughs> the movie also features MC Hammer. Uh, the school's principal is played by Pat Morita of Mr. Miyagi fame from The Karate Kid. Ah. And the school janitors are played by Brett Favre. And then Packers coach Mike Holmgren. Uh, <laughs> I'm smelling bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I'm not watching all that. I did no. skip ahead and watch the uh, poorly lit short fight scene between the giant and Reggie White. That's just kind of in like a nondescript area of the woods somewhere. <laughs> it was really terrible looking. Uh, Ron Rice, also known as the Yeti or Super Giant Ninja, <laughs> is. I know which one I prefer. <laughs> <laughs> he is off to uh, the New Japan Dojo, so uh, I guess I I I know that we'll be seeing him at some point long in the future, and I can't wait to see how that uh, Piercao training pays off <laughs> for old Ronnie Rice. Best of luck in your future endeavors. Uh, in ECW news, the Denver uh, affiliate that was previously airing their uh, ECW TV show, whatever that's called, mm -hmm. uh, he has said that, or the station has said that they will never air again uh, because of so many viewer complaints. <laughs> so, you know, and uh, knowing Heyman, I'm sure he probably spun that into publicity for the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, he'd be dumb not to, you know? Right. Um, but that's all in wrestling news. Anything else that you want to say uh, this week? We are, we are rapidly running out of Nitros before things take a famous uh, radical shift. Yep. Um, it's it's very interesting to see these last few shows of kind of the old WCW. Slamboree is going to be the last pay-per-view. And, you know, I'm not going to be – I'll, I'll stop being cutesy about it. Slamboree is the last pay-per-view of the non-NWO era, the pre-NWO era. Yeah. I know – yeah. It, and it's interesting that, like, uh, I didn't realize that the, the, the beginning of that angle – is the same show in which they went to two hours. Right. Yeah, That's and that's smart. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know... Well, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. Uh, or in two weeks, rather. Sure. Next week, we're going to be uh, talking about the very last uh, pre-NWO, or at least pre-Outsiders. I know the NWO name isn't used for quite some time, but mm -hmm. the very last pre-Outsiders Nitro is going to be covered next week, right here where the big boys play. 20 years of... Nitro. You have lost it. Lost what? Your mind. Oh,